What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Wad Pod. It's your boy Steve here. We got another banger on our hands. We got the Zoom In Clan, Serbia's most powerful mafia part two on dubs. We got them rolling on 20s dub edition, Street Racers. Uh, this episode has uh, got to have a lot of Dave Williamson on it for the first half. And then um, Dave and I might have gotten too drunk and couldn't finish the episode, so I finished it on my own. Uh, how have I been? Good. Um, finally home off the road with Bert, uh, though that was extremely fun, and I will be going out to quite a lot more. It does feel good to be at home, man. I mean, good God, sleeping in your own bed, hanging out with loved ones, seeing friends is fantastic. How's my life been since being off the road this week? Okay, why are we oh, uh, an episode behind? Because uh, my computer got fucked up. I don't really know what's going on. I got a brand new MacBook, but... Final Cut Pro does a lot of technical stuff, so I got that fixed, and then also we, uh, I just kind of needed to get ahead. I'm going to be going on the road for a while, and I need to get ahead a couple episodes, so that's why it happened. So, you know, if you had a problem, just listen to one of the old episodes, or you probably haven't listened to all of them, or, you know, just take a week off yourself. Feels good. We're back, baby. So, how has my week been? It's been good, man. I went on a strong diet. Been dieting pretty hard. Um, the reason I started doing this diet is because with Bert, I gained 18 pounds in three weeks. I know what you're thinking. Disgusting. But actually, um, it's actually better than I did last tour with him. I gained 18 pounds in two weeks. So, you know, progress. Next time in a month, I'll gain 18 pounds. Uh, good news is a couple things. Not good news because I could, I could be on tour with Bert every day for the rest of my life. But I'm just doing weeks from, from, uh, for the next couple months. It's week on, week off, week on, week off. So hopefully I'll be able to turn and negate the, massive amount of uh, calories we're loading into our bodies. Number two, how am I losing the weight? Well, I'm doing it exactly how I did it last time. There's a woman named Stacia Patwell. Uh, you've seen, you've heard her talked about on Burt's podcast with uh, Jessica Michelle Singleton, and you've heard her talked about on the Joe Rogan experience with Lara Bates. Um, so essentially, it's a very... I, you know, I'm never hungry, uh, but it's a very uh, calorie deficient. I'm at about 1,700, but I have about five meals a day, and it's a lot of walking. I'm up to about 10 to 15,000 steps a day, about a little over five miles, maybe five to six miles a day. Honestly, I busted out in the beginning. I've been, ta- been uh, documenting the, that on my Instagram if you want to hear about those. How's it been going? Um, fine. It really sucks. Pretty much one of my main staples is ground turkey. A little bit of rice and some vegetables, and uh, as, as delicious as that sounds, uh, gets old pretty quick. Because also, it's a very uh, micro and macro heavy diet, meaning that I can't really salt things or add flavor to them, other than like Mrs. Dash, or sometimes I sprinkle a little sriracha. It's like, dude, if sriracha gets me fat, I'll fucking take it, man. What do you want me to do here? That being said, I was at 232 when I came off the road with Bert. Boy! Um... Already down to 222 in a week. So that's 10 pounds. Pretty good. Um, I was actually down yesterday to 219, but I had a cheat day. Why did I have a cheat day? Because I deserve it. Also, I've cheated on everything my whole life. Um, I wouldn't have made it past middle school if I wasn't a cheater, honestly. Uh, You know, I graduated college with a 2.8, and I cheated on every single test I ever took. It's like you can tell I needed cheating because even with cheating, still barely got by. So what did I do on my cheat day? You know, it started off pretty uh, innocuous, um, pretty chill. Did a little bit of a Korean bibimbap, if you don't know what that is. A lot of vegetables, rice, and I'm like, okay, you know, as a lunch, you know, actually I went to the, uh, there's a place in LA called the Gentle, Gentle Barn. It's a uh, animal sanctuary. My girlfriend wants to volunteer there. She keeps going. And essentially, you just get to hug a bunch of cows and pet animals. Pretty good time, but not a lot of food up there, and I don't want to bring sad-ass ground turkey and rice with some vegetables in the thing. You just eat it. So I, I, del- I went out, you know, had a little bit of a lunch. What about, what about, what about, I can't have lunch anymore. Had that cream bibimbap fire, but, you know, not that bad for you. There's a lot of salts and probably sugars from the bulgogi, but whatever. What can you do? I was going to risk it, maybe adjust my dinner later. Um, then we said, fuck it, and we went out for dinner. Went to, there's a place called uh, California Market in Koreatown. It is this giant kind of Korean supermarket slash mall slash restaurant smorgasbord place. I am a huge fan. I could spend hours there. Me and my girlfriend went there, and I had pho. I think one of the best phas in the city. Uh, Solfa, S-E. 
O-U-L. Soul is in the country. I don't know how to spell it. Just stop, stop tripping on me, okay? One of the better ones I had had this giant beef bone in it with ribs in it. It was fire. But, you know, that's a uh, that's a ton of sodium. Uh, I don't Do I think it's inherently bad for you? No. But if the goal is to lose weight, salt uh, is pretty bad at that. So then I did that. But, you know, that's still what? I cheated and I didn't really cheat. Like, you know, you know the fucking the bimbap, that's like... That's like if you cheat and you just look over your buddy's paper real quick on a test, you know, just one answer. It's like, did I even see it? I don't know. Maybe I was just confirming. Um, the the pho, that, that to me, that seems like cheating. That's kind of like, um, you know, what I used to do in college before everyone got super hip. I don't know what it is. You know, I don't know how easy it is to cheat anymore. I used to take my cell phone and I would sit on it. Also, the way I would always cheat would be um, if they gave a prompt of what the test would be about, I would write it out. Put it on my phone, screenshots, put it on my legs, sit on it, and then just, you know, open my legs when no one was around. And I'm looking down, you know, at my test, and I can see in my legs. And when someone comes, you close it. Pretty dynamite. Pretty dynamite rule. So, but what I would do is, like, you know, if there's an essay, a huge essay, and they give us these prompts that'll be on, I would just pre-write the essay. That's probably why I didn't do very good even when I cheated. But, like, that's how much I needed cheating. So, you know, second one, the fuck? Probably the old school sit on your phone trick, okay? Then I really cheated. I mean, you know, wife catches husband in a gay orgy kind of cheated. At midnight, I pounded two steak chalupas and a five-layer burrito. First off, that the level of cheating on that, if you want to go to school, would be like you go to class, you cut your teacher's throat, you douse yourself in their blood, and you set their computer on fire while handing out essays answers to the midterm here's a little thing i gotta say right now um there is a special taco bell near me that might be arguably the worst in the world i've been there decent amount of time now i don't really eat fast food that often you know it's more of a i wouldn't say a treat because i wouldn't even say i really enjoy especially if, I, if i'm gonna go to taco bell why don't i just go to one of the mini street carts around where there's an old Mexican woman cooking up shit that her fucking mom took her, told her how to. Probably going to be better. But, you know, sometimes it's just an urge. Like, I've had a really big urge for a McDonald's hamburger for about three weeks. Been fighting that boy, bad boy like a MFer. So this place, this this Taco Bell by my apartment, uh, may be, hands down, the worst Taco Bell in America. Um, it's got about a one-star review. This is, how I, this, is, this is what I'd say. They don't cook their chalupa buns. Yeah, you heard that right, folks. Travesty, mockery of a society to do to people. You don't cook. So, last night I cheated on a diet with two uncooked steak chalupa buns. I mean, golly gee willikers. That's fucked up, dude. Because it's always been, you know, if you're going to cheat, you got to cheat big. Go big. I cheated and went with some, like, homeless whore. That I paid in a bag of nickels to cheat on my wife. And then they got the five-layer burrito. I mean, they're getting very liberal with what they're considering a layer um, with their five-layer burritos. Number one, I don't know if I've said it before, but I'm definitely going to say it again. Lettuce should not be in a burrito. It's not hard. It's not hard. Steve, why? Why shouldn't lettuce? Because no one wants warm fucking lettuce, dog. Like, what planet are we even on where we're allowing people to put warm lettuce on things? You're sick, folks. You're sick. And if I go to a restaurant, you know, because a lot of times they try to beef up the burrito. You're like, holy shit, this thing's the size of two baby dick. Well, not that's a small thing. This is a hefty baby's wiener. Um, two forearms, and you open up, and it's half lettuce, and I'm eating warm lettuce, and it's wilted, and it's like, who wants lettuce with beans? Who's, who's putting refried beans on lettuce? You're sick, folks. So, ate that thing. That thing was terrible. Uh, the other two were good, but hey. Well, the crazy one was the day, the cheat day. You know what? another thing I ever get? If anyone ever sees me and they go, hey, you're looking thin. I want you to know that night I went and ate a cheesecake and t seven steaks and a whole bag of tater tots. Because anytime someone goes like that or I see something good, kind of sneak back into my old ways so yesterday when i woke up i was 219 dog that's 
Start on Monday to Sunday, six days, would have lost uh, 13 pounds. Now listen to everyone's like, whoa, how are you doing that? You got to understand, 232, not my walking around weight. Okay, that's not how I live my life. When I'm 232, I'm eating five meals a day with Burt Kreischer, smashing 12 IPAs and drinking a damn near bottle of tequila. So weight's going to shed off pretty quick in the beginning. Now, when I get to about 210 to 200, that's when this thing's really going to be starting to starting to suck a lot more balls is what's going to happen. Do I notice any difference? No, I don't. Just being a little, being 232, man, you definitely, it just weighs on me. And it's just, the worst part is, man, I grow, I get fat in my stomach and then my gullet, like what a pelican would have. It just grows. Both of them grows and they swell until I'm some bulbous creature that with goiters that the town folk throw tomatoes at. But working on that, getting better. Um, I already talked about Dave and I getting too drunk. So pretty much I finished this episode. Still super interesting. Still a lot of great information. I mean, who knew these guys? I mean, I knew about their dictator dying, but I had no idea that a mafia did it. And especially, like, if you listen to the last one, man, they had these members of their crime family, war criminals, moving up into what would be considered the FBI of Yugoslavia. That's incredible. It's incredible. It almost makes you like, if you like, life was very terrible. I would be like, should I just go to like some shitty little country and try and take it over? Like, what if I go to Belgium? I don't know what's going on there. I've only heard of chocolate and 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 waffles and kind of soccer players. And you're gonna tell me I can't beat up people who base their country around chocolate, waffles, and soccer players? I think so, Belgium. Just so I want everyone to know, if you guys let me fail as my career as a comedian, I'm going to Belgium. I'm taking it over. <laughs> and I'm starting a new government. Oh, man. Let's go to some suggestions. Uh, new Narcos just came out. I don't even know if the season's going to be good. But if you love this shit, you're going to love the new Narcos. Also, um, Bruno Mars and Anderson Pock's new song, Smoking Out the Window, just came out. And guys, I've been waiting for this album. If you don't know what's going on with this album, you guys combine Bruno Mars, who, you know, somewhat of a modern-day Filipino Michael Jackson, you could probably argue. If Michael Jackson never grew up, he just remained in the... Jackson 5. And then Anderson Pac is kind of like, uh, he's a rapper, but he plays drums at the same time. One of my favorite rappers. They came out with, a, they're coming out with a joint album. They're releasing each track very slowly. And it's all 1970s kind of bass. Like, they're recording it visually like the 1970s. They look like they're just like, you know, on the set of Soul Train. Um, and it's just really great. And this new song's one of my favorite. I mean, I'll put it on repeat. I've been playing that alongside Adele's new one, Easy On Me. I mean, listen, I'm a guy who loves hardcore cocaine rap, rapping about drug dealing, trap music. I love oldies, rock and roll, pretty much any kind of music, just not some older country, just not, you know, newer pop country bullshit. And then I love, uh, I mean, I tell you what, if you put on some Adele, Easy On Me, followed by um, Anderson Pack and Bruno Mars smoking out the window, not a single person is going to get mad at either of those, okay? So take those, enjoy them, smoke some weed, enjoy this episode. I'm going to finish it off. Um, oh, I got some more stuff, dude. What the hell am I doing? We recorded the Hawaiian Gardens episode at the comedy store in the basement. So audio should be on point. My guest is my cousin and and uh, Orange County Sheriff's Department Officer Gannon. Cannon Kelly, I guess I could say his last name. Um, he is a straight cop. Looks like a cop, acts like a cop, but he's cool. I could definitely tell he'd be one of the cooler cops. Not to say cops aren't cool, but you know a guy that might let you off with some if it's a ticky tacky thing and it didn't really look that bad. Um, definitely not the funniest episode we've done, but definitely the most informed. Like having him on there and us talking about stuff. I mean, he worked at the L.A. County Jails. Um, the guys who bring everybody in. And the L.A. County Jail may be one of the most gnarly fucking places in the world. Like, I'm talking like, this is like, uh, 
toughest prisons level. If you ever watch those shows, which I freaking love, check out those too. Uh, world's toughest prisons with that one British guy. He, a guy from Britain who got locked up to life, but then after spending 20 years in jail, got shown to be innocent. He now has a television show where he goes into the worst prisons in the world and goes there for a week. And I'm not talking like, like Germany's top 10 prison or something. I'm talking like this guy's going to like Sao Paulo's like favela prisons where everyone's got AIDS and they're drinking muddy water like it's gnarly stuff it's really great and apparently the LA County Jail I mean you're probably safer in prison in San Quentin than you would be at the LA County Jail I talked to him too about you know if you get pulled over in a jail what you're gonna expect that kind of stuff's really fun I just love that kind of stuff um but yeah that's a great one that one will be out next week we're gonna have some clips ready for that uh, spots have been good, you know, back to getting my two at the comedy store, did a late night, um, did a late night OR, original room one, that was fun, it was actually really funny, is one of my better friends from high school, you know, not best friend, but you know, you got your high school group of guys, probably 10 dudes in there, three of them you're super close with, the other guys you're close with, but like, you know, they have a guy they hang out with, and then once you combine the two guys, then everyone hangs out. So his older brother turned out to be at the show. He was just hanging out because his wife goes to bed at 9. Also, if my wife ever goes to bed at 9 and they're like 38, I'll fucking I'm be cheating again. Um, Especially on vacation. Like, bitch, you going to bed at 9 p.m. We're on sunset at the Ondas and going to bed at 9? The fuck do we fly here for? So his wife was going to bed at nine and he was like, fuck it. So Andaz is right next to the comedy store. He's like, I'll go to the comedy store. He went and I guess he just saw me. Must have been mind blowing for the man. You know, I used to sell him drugs. Um, he's a very, he's a successful lobbyist now in, uh, in Sacramento. I'm not going to say his name. Um, <laughs> he's just watching. He sees a dude who used to sell him weed go on stage. He's like, is that my butt? And they say my name. And he's like, damn, this guy's got the same name. Is that weed dealer? And they saw me. And then we hung out, show them around. It was kind of fun, man. Spots have been good. LA's good. Happy to be back. Can't wait to go back on the road. Can't wait to see all you guys. Make sure you like, subscribe, share. This episode half is with Dave Williamson, one of my best buds, Davey Dubs Comedy. The rest is going to be a la carte, me, al dente, because I'm a little bit hard. Uh, <laughs> things might be changing up, too. We're probably going to go to Comedy Store Records, podcast, studio, their kind of feed. Should be the same feed. I'll find out more about that. Otherwise, love you guys. Keep listening to the podcast. Please share it if you like to. Our members are slowly growing, but, you know, like them for fast, fastly grow. Is that a thing people say? I don't know. We got one more ad, and the ads might be changing too, so, you know, that'll be fun. One more ad, then we're going to go in the episode. Love you guys. This is the Zoo Man Clan Part 2, Serbia's Deadliest Mafia. 1997 to 2000, the Zoo Man Clan. Fresh beers. Fresh beers. Fresh eyes. We just took the... Uh, Beef ribs off the smoker. Oh, they look so good. They look so fucking good. I'm so excited right now. Uh, ni- 1997 to 2000s, the Zuman clan and the Serbian Special Operations Unit. So this is what happens. These guys start getting infiltrated into the government. Mm-hmm. So, like, their army is now, like, the FBI and the police and stuff like that. True, true, true. April 17th, 1950. Oh, we're gonna also going to go into a different guy named Arkan. Okay. Night. Uh... Arcan, he sounds like a wizard. Yeah, he, I mean, a lot of these guys are very wizardy, Gandalfy kind of names. April 17th, 1952, Arcan is born. He's raised by his father, but becomes a ward of Stain Dolinik, a close confidant of Yugoslavian dictator. Hey, props to his dad for sticking around, man. Yeah, good job. But then he becomes a good friend with the dictator, Joseph Tito. Oh, man. 1966, at about 14, Ar- Arcan is arrested for the first time. He's sent to the youth labor facility. 1972, Arkan immigrates to France and embarks on a career as a bank robber and thief. That's a funny thing to embark on. December 28, 1973, Arkan is arrested in Belgium for robbery and sentenced to 10 years. July 4th, 1979, Arkan escapes prison in Belgium. This is going to be a theme in Arkan's life. October 24th, 1979, Arkan is arrested in Amsterdam. May 8th, 1981, two years later, with the assistance of the Yugoslavian intelligence service, he once again escapes prison in Amsterdam. June 5th, 1981, Arkan is arrested for robbery in a jewelry store in Germany. June 9th, four days later, Arkan leaps out of a prison transport and flees to Switzerland. 
fucking badass. I spent a summer in Switzerland. How'd that go? Uh, really fun. I did a. Uh, so I was dating a girl in college uh, who went to Ireland for uh, a semester abroad, and so I went to go visit her on my week off. All right, what? spring break. Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, I'm getting drunk. I just called. My, yeah, I'm I just called spring too. break my week off. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting so pretty drunk too. I went to go we visit her on left. spring break, and then it opened my eyes, and I go, "Oh man, you can just experience the world." So then I broke up with her, but then uh, uh, I, I started looking into it, and we had a program, an exchange program, to go to Switzerland. So I went. I didn't want to miss a water polo or a football season, so I went during summer session. And had a blast because it was super centrally located in Europe. So you could just get a rail pass and go take three-day weekends to Germany, Italy, wherever oh, that's you want to go. Yeah, that's cool shit. It's easy. It was easier to just hop a train and go to, like, Germany or Paris for the weekend than it was in Miami to go to, like, Georgia for the weekend. <laughs> wow, yeah. I mean, their train system over there is supposed to be the shit. Yeah, and it takes nine hours to drive out of the state of Florida from Miami, so... Yeah, it was eye-opening for me. February 15th, 1983, Arkin is arrested in Switzerland. Dave, can you take a guess of what happens on April 27th, 1983? He pleads guilty. Nope, Arkin escapes prison. Oh, he escapes! This motherfucker is a bad Uh, boy. I thought he was nicer than that. And he flees to Yugoslavia. 1985, Milorad Ulmiek leaves Yugoslavia and he joins the French Foreign Legion. This guy, Ulmiek, Ulmiek. uh, is a very evil... Badass motherfucker. May 13th, 1990, Arkan plays a role in the Dynamo Red Star soccer riots. 60 people are stabbed, beaten, shot, and or Keeps poisoned. coming back to soccer, man, these Serbian gangs. They ain't got much going on other than that. Yeah. And water polo. Dave. What's up? 60 people are stabbed, beaten, or shot. What's the biggest fight you ever got in, whether it was a lot of people or you for someone? <laughs> oh, man. Shoot. I can go first. Like like volume biggest? It can be either the biggest in your life or if you've ever had a group fight. Me and my friends used to have a like a, we'd go 10 on 10. We'd just go fight 10 other just guys. Just a sport? You know, we just, <laughs> I, I was very fight heavy when I was like, I was a completely different person. I was a lot buffer and a lot meaner and I was just into fighting people. And we would just go and it'd be six of us for six guys. And then whatever guy beat up his guy first, it was almost like hockey when someone goes in the penalty box and now you got one extra guy. And then you start beating the living <laughs> shit out of people or getting your ass whooped. Well, I, I wasn't much of a fighter, okay. uh, but I never I never backed down from a fight. Uh, as I think I already illustrated from some of my uh, stories tonight. Mm-hmm. I never backed down from a fight. But because of that, I can usually talk my way out of one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember one time that got me in trouble when my buddy was going to go to UCF. So we graduate high school, and he goes to summer session up at UCF. So we're all excited. Our first buddies in college. We pick a weekend. We all load into one of my cars. It was a Honda Passport, uh, and we we listen. We start bumping the new Outcast album, and we drive up to UCF to party for the weekend. So he's like, hey, man, I heard there's going to be this party in an apartment complex. We should go, right? Mm-hmm. This girl told me, yeah, we should go. So we go there, and we're all these like, you know, we're not even freshmen yet. This is the summer before our freshman college. Intimidating. Yeah. So we, we, we roll on this party, and the people who were having the party were like, get the fuck out of here. We don't want you guys here. You know? Yeah, for sure. So then I guess they were boys with the rent-a-cops at the apartment complex. So he, like, paged the rent-a-cop and was like, get these fucking guys out of here. Children. Yeah, yeah. So we're walking to our car already, and the rent-a-car cops start berating us, and I'm just ignoring it. I'm ignoring it. We're leaving anyways. And then uh, right as we're getting the car, one of my friends, like a dope, looks at the guy, and he just goes, boy, you guys aren't very cordial, are you? And I'm like, oh, why'd you say something? Them's fighting words, boy. And he he was the youngest of all of us. So then they get in his face, and now I got to get involved. Hey, man, we're leaving. I don't know why you're so mad. Like, leave him alone. So now they were targeting me, which is a story of my life. I stick up for someone. When you watch the Saved by the Bell after-school special, and they tell you to stick up for other people, what they don't tell you is then you become the target, you know? Yeah, and that other guy never starts sticking up for you. Never, never. That guy runs away, and now it's me versus everybody. So we we all managed to get in the car, and we're slowly driving away, and this guy's, like, spitting on our car and like kicking the car as we drive away the rent-a-cops so i just want to like save some some dignity so i roll the window down like i'm not scared and i start mean mugging the guy as he's like you know uh like kicking the car whatever and right as my buddy pat was driving as he gets far enough away where i feel brave i just go 
fuck you guys. And that rent-a-car cop ran up and grabbed me by the collar. <laughs> and, and Pat, instead of driving away, stops. And that guy, I still don't... I had a, no, move, go, I, go. I had a seatbelt on. I still don't know how that guy ripped me out of the window so cleanly. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm yelling at Pat, like, go, go. I'm trying to jump Get back. The in the, I'm trying to jump back in the car like Duke's hazard. I'm like, drive. And so then we finally get out of there, and I look at him, and I go, why did you stop? And he goes, it seemed like you wanted to, like, engage with the guy. I go, no, I was engaging because I didn't want, I didn't think I had to engage as long as you drove. Like, <laughs> um, All over using the word cordial. Cordial, yeah, and your buddy wasn't there to keep you in there either. <laughs> October 1999, Arkan moves to Croatia, where he plots to overthrow the government. He is arrested. Can you imagine that? Hey, man. Over the government. Yeah, imagine, imagine being like, your dream is to do yeah. bank robberies how, and heists. Hey, how hard could it be, bro? I mean, at this time, you not Couldn't that even hard. take a rent-a-cop. <laughs> June 1991, Arkan is released from Croatian custody. July 1991, Arkan forms the Tiger Brigade. This is going to be something very important. Ooh, Tiger Woods, y'all. Yeah, where he gets drunk on uh, sleeping pills and crashes it and ruins his career. A Serbian militia group engaged in ethnic cleansing. 1992, mm. Elmec goes AWOL from the French former grade and joins Arkans Tigers. So this one, you got a man who wants to overthrow the government. He's starting a paramilitary group. And you have Ulamek, who is a fucking war criminal psycho who just joined up. Now we got another two buddies making some shit just like uh, hey man, it's cool you Spala, Spala, dreams, Spala you know? Um April 1996, so it's about four years later. After five years of war, Arkans Tigers are disabled. March 1999, NATO releases a warrant for Arkans arrest. Arkans Tigers are reactivated to fight in Kosovo under Ulmik's command. During the NATO bombing uh, campaign, Arkan becomes the most public face of the Milosevic regime. So, regime. Regime. As, so they we're going to recap this one real quick. As the Zuman clan continues to grow in numbers, wealth, power, influence, uh, two major events propel their fortunes forward. Biha, the chief of uh, Kuma clan, decides to retire from criminal activity and orient his entire criminal enterprise towards the construction industry. With this move towards legitimacy, the Zuman clan become the most prolific and most violent in, in all of them. And uh, a, a large uh, rift happens with Biha and Spasohivic opens, one that allowed Spasohivic. <sighs> I find it impressive that you're getting all this verbiage uh, even out of your mouth uh, with all that we've had to drink. drink. <laughs> Plus, the farts I'm dropping over here. They're gnarly. They have to be distracting for it, you, and you you are being a uh, ultimate professional. I'm getting attacked on all fronts, <laughs> mentally, physically, It really visually. paralyzes the senses. Um, one that allowed Spasohivich and the Zuman clan to surpass the Kuma clan and become the ind independence and become independent of Biha. Independence Day. <laughs> Do you think these people listen to Toby Keith? No, 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 no. I think they are, they're kind of like in like a... They have a... Weird uh, polka music. Serbian Toby Keith. Serbian Toby Keith. <laughs> like, fuck it, man. Toby Klisahilovich. The second event was the aftermath of the Kosovo War and the collapse of the Yugoslavian government. Already aiding the police and military with information as police informants, their aid became more useful as their home reasons of Medveda becomes embroiled in an ethnic Albanian attempt to separate Kosovo from Yugoslavia. After ethnic cleansing racked the whole reason, NATO interviewed in 1999 weakling the Yugoslavian government. With the end of the war as veterans of the Serbian Special Forces and their associated Red Beret paramilitary organizations returned to Belgrade using their connections with war syndicates and crime syndicates and the government to attain powerful positions in both the intelligence services and in organized crime. For the Zuman clan, their ranks were swelled with new recruits, recruits among them Milorad Legion Ulamek. I already did the nickname one. Yo, you already asked me what nickname. Uh, I did forget Speedo Dave, which we brought up. I also dated a British chick for a little while. She called me Hey Dave because she said that it was funny that uh, Americans would say, Hey Steve, Hey Dave, Hey Dave. So she thought it would sound funny to say, Hey Dave, Hey Dave. And that's what she called me. Okay, here we go. Let's talk about that. If you were not who you are right now in the life you live right now, and I'm asking something even weirder than that, but you were going to date someone from a different country, what country do you think that would be? Ew. I always had I mean I've never been there so I can't say this like for sure 
but I've always been a little uh, fascinated by Australia. And mm. I also spent a lot of time in, uh, in the Bahamas. So I, I could totally, I mean, I know my look suggests it already, but I could have totally just changed my life and just lived on a boat. <laughs> yeah, I can <laughs> like, see that. For just lived sure. in the Caribbean. I can see that for sure. Just uh, been like a skipper on a yacht or something, uh-huh. you know? Doing day done. tours like one season a year, banking uh, that. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm more ambitious than that, but <laughs> I, I think, thought you were living on a boat in the ocean. I didn't know yeah, 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 but I'm not like I'm not like like pinching pennies here, buddy. I'm like you're day like trading. I own the island, bro. Oh, 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 my bad. I love Australians because they party. I, I would be like hard. I would be like an author. I would be like a famous author. Oh wow! And okay. I just like you know just this wayward sea bound author. Yeah, and I just go from from island to island penning new novels wow that's pretty good me if i would date a lady because we can't go with the job one i'm actually gonna ask you earlier a uh, later i have a crazy one about that um a i dated a, a colombian chick in Ooh. high school i mean hispanic chicks in general are usually very beautiful very interesting people but that was a little too aggressive for me because her mom was like very traditional like girl no pick up boy boy pick up girl you know mm-hmm. like their traditions are very like if you love if you love someone, you love someone, and you 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 accept their traditions and and their quirks and whatever. But if I, it was like a dream scenario. I, f- I find the Hispanic culture is a little intimidating. Yeah, it's you know it's very um, family based, and I'm not really huge. I'm not, I don't like dating a person, and I'm dating their family. I'm dating the person. Oh, Hispanic! You yeah. are dating their family. I don't buddy. like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. Milorad Ulamek, known as his alias Legion, had fled Serbia after a botched bank robbery in 1985. He spent six years in the French Foreign Legion, serving almost continuously overseas. Upon his return to Yugoslavia, he became a deputy in the notorious Serbian warlord Zelejko Arkan Raznotivik, R-A-Z-N-O-T-O-V-I-K, early in the Balkan Wars. Arkin had been instrumental in the founding of the modern system of Serbian organized crime clans. That's why we're talking about Arkin. He doesn't really have time, not really part of this story very much, but he was, you know, if you look at a house, everyone loves the windows and the doors, but that's really the uh, foundation. I think he's an important part. Yeah. Um, He uh, was a Serbian organized crime clans where he led a group of Serbian immigrants into Western Europe on a spree of car theft and armed robberies. These criminal activities had been occasionally used in communist Yugoslavian Oh, he's on Priscilla. Why did he tell us Priscilla? I asked uh, where he was at in the set. Oh, okay. Government who used Serbian criminal overseas to assassinate their political opponents in exile. So essentially, uh, I'm going to have to read that again. Can you imagine just living somewhere where it's like, I want to do something good for my country. I'm going to run for office. And then you, it's a legit thought that uh, anyone who doesn't want you to run is going to try to kill you. I mean, in these countries where things are so turbulent and so fucked up, you almost have to be like, listen, I could either try to be a cop, which you're going to piece of shit. You're probably going to die. No one gives a fuck about it. not real cops, but in these bad countries. Or you're going to be like, I got to rob people or I got to do all this crazy stuff. So Ulamek also, uh, he was the head of the Serbian National Soccer Fan Club, football fan club, a useful tool for both his criminal and nationalistic enterprises. For instance, he would travel with the fan club around the world and use that as a guise to kill political refugees and enemies in each of these countries and cities that he was going to. I really love number eight. Yeah. Choo, choo, choo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was just, it was, I mean, it's smart. Would you like an autograph? Stab, stab, stab. <laughs> Something happened to this man. I've got to go to the bathroom. So you won't see me. I'm Ulmanek. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, Arkan had returned to Yugoslavia, founding a Serbian nationalist militia known as the Tiger Brigade. Engaged in numerous massacres across the Balkans, Arkan became internationally notorious for his brutality and for his criminal activities which extended to ties with the Italian mafia. Hailed as a hero by the Serbs, he returned to Belgrade to return to football, business, and organized crime, but his militia was disabled. Hmm. His follower, Ulamik, took the Tiger Brigade and other militia groups and transferred, transformed it into the special operations units of the Serbian special forces. So this man took a militia group and put it into the government, bringing with them the nickname of the Red Berets. As a member of the Zuman clan, as an important security official, Umik organized the security and intelligence services to support the Zuman clan through arms and supply training, as well as providing secure locations to store drugs. In exchange, the Zuman clan used its contacts in the underworld to provide intelligence on government opponents and Albanian rebels. 
rebels, as well as attack political opponents. Get him. Okay, so we're gonna, I got a question. Let freedom ring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way that these guys are infiltrating is just, it's almost like what you said earlier. It's a yes man thing. You make connections with people, you become friends with them, and then you'll never know if Ulmic then becomes the guy who's running the Serbian Special Forces and he's one of your best friends now and you can use it for your advantage. Yeah. I'm rubbing the microphone on my mustache. We've entered that point of the evening. <laughs> I mean, can people hear it at home? Is it? Let's see. What are we music? at? Sound like a violin. We're at eight at thirteen. This is what I'm gonna say. Let's do a little bit more, and we'll finish it tomorrow off the next show. It's gonna be a real different vibe when we finish. Yeah, <laughs> go I back know. to being sober tomorrow. I mean, but if we just have some work to do, if we keep going, true, 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 true. So we'll let it go right now. All right. <laughs> <laughs> two thousand to two thousand three, the assassination of Arkin in the rise of the Zumankan clan july 15 2000 arkan is assassinated r.i.p to a legend july 2000 arkan's tiger brigade and other red beret security troops in the zooman clan go on a killing spree killing several rival heads of criminal organizations and many of their subordinates april 2001 ulmik becomes the head of yugoslavia's special operations unit i'm talking about this man is the head of the fb fucking i for yugoslavia imagine that if uh, Frank Lucas was the head of our FBI, if 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 insane criminal, if El Chapo was the head of Mexico's FBI, Dave, so last question for us because uh, we're getting a little toasted here and it's hard to read and you're you're not really paying attention. So we'll do the rest tomorrow. If you could assassinate one person in history, could be a friend, could be someone you just never liked, could be anyone. Friend, <laughs> I don't know, maybe a psycho. Why and how? I mean, I don't think that you should want to assassinate anybody. I have a ton of people. But if, uh, you know, if Nick Saban were happened to be involved in an unfortunate (laughs) accident, therefore saving my Dolphins, the embarrassment of him leaving, and then also taking taking over Alabama, which beats my beloved Auburn Tiger regularly. I'm just saying, I wouldn't want anything to do with that. But if it happened, it happened. But I'm sure he's got family members, and that's more important than football. But, you know. But is it? If I could kill someone throughout time, I would kill. I don't know. I didn't even think about that one. Yeah, it's once you say it out loud, it's it's real. (laughs) Who would I kill? I mean, you could go with, like, you know, the Hitlers or the Pol Pots or the Anyone else like that? But I'd more want someone closer. I got a buddy of mine. He's a comedian who I do not respect, and he keeps ratting on people at the comedy store, and I might go back in time and murder him. I uh, can't wait till we hit pause and you tell me who that is. <laughs> All right, we're going to come back tomorrow and check in. Up next is going to be a advertisement, probably for Anchor Podcast. Tomorrow I will have my farts in check. <laughs> All right, we're back from the break, and guess who didn't come with me? Davey Dubs. Got a little toasty and it just never worked out. But honestly, I thought those were pretty fun, uh, pretty fun podcasts so far. I kind of enjoy the mixing of the um, deep questions with this kind of thing. You know, it's almost like a, the 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 podcaster show Hot Ones. If you've ever seen that, people eat extremely hot wings and then they're asked very personal questions. Maybe this kind of hardcore information will be the hot wings. Other than that, let's get back into it. In response, Spasohevich and Ulamek promised to remove those who are responsible for the assassination and wipe out their criminal and political enemies. Loyal to Slobodan Milosevic, they targeted both the enemies of the ruling government as well as rival criminal organizations and businesses. Using codes such as the company, the code for the Zuman organization, not a great code, you know, that's pretty easy and he's going to canada meaning to assassinate him fantastic i'd rather die than go to canada just kidding spasohevich orchestrated a campaign against all of the rivals of his group with arms and training being supplied by ulamek and the serbian government's special operations unit i mean wow right imagine that you got a insane war criminal and the serbian special operations unit training and arming your guys you're gonna you should be in a pretty good situation kidnapping became a fundamental part of a strategy kidnapping important serbian businesses with their ties to other clans for ransom maliha babalovic and mirosav miskrovic two of serbia's most important business people with ties to their old boss buha kumet were kidnapped by spasovic 
Such was their success that Spasohevich and Lukovic poured millions of dollars into new housing estates and malls, modern shopping malls being a critical source of income for the Belgrade clans. Kalinic in this period became notorious for his brutality, beating hostages with hammers, torturing them with electrical wires, and splashing victims with acid. Those that he assassinated were often found dismembered, including a victim who was followed by Kalinich to Spain and fed him into a meat grinder. Torsos found without limbs or heads were often attributed to him. I mean, imagine that. You, 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 know, you hear Marvin Gaye, you hear Whitney Houston, and you go, that's them. I know them by their voice. This man was such a fucking psychopath that people knew him by the disgusting ways he was murdering people. These efforts made Spasorhevic and Lukovic the most dangerous and powerful figures in Serbian organized crime, but they lacked the political connections that other figures such as Buha Kumet had. Because of their ties to the old militia organizations, the group took a major political hit when Slobodan Milosevic was overthrown on October 5th, 2000. In April 2001, Milosevic was arrested in Zoran Dindik, a leading opponent of the old communist and national regime, became prime minister. As Milosevic was arrested, Ulamek was forced to resign from his position in the security services, putting tense, intense pressure on members of the special operations unit associated with the Zuman clan. So uh, he just they just took a huge MFing hit. You know, they had the president of their, you know, the prime minister of Serbia, Yugoslavia on their side. That guy's kicked out, overthrown, and now Ulamik is kicked out of the Special Operations Unit. I mean, this was the question I was going to ask them. I was going to ask Davey Dubs if he could have made it. What is the time you thought things were going well and then everything was taken away? So, you know, another great question if you ask me. But uh, when is, uh, you know what's funny in comedy, I find? Bookers, the people who book these comedy clubs, you always think you want to get in with them. You always think you want to get in with the general manager. But the truth is, these people move on. A lot of them aren't lifers. That's why I've always suggested if there's something you want and there's something you want to do, something you want to go, and it's a people thing, it's not a hard work thing or a money thing, I wouldn't suggest going to the source for the uh, thing you want. You know, You should go to the people around that. You know, like let's say you want to be, there's a kickball team or not even kickball. There's a division of your work that you want to go to and you're like, I should go rub-a-dub-dub with the big boss, right? I should brown nose him. What you really shouldn't do is that you should brown nose all the people around him. Brown nose are just organically make friends. I mean, if you want this in your life, it's not really like you're a psychopath, sociopath. So that once your name gets brought up in these circles, everyone has a positive thing to say to you. And say about you. That means more than, you know, you only brown nose the guy at the top, one of these bookers. And then when your name gets brought up, everyone else is like, ah, I don't really know that guy. Yeah, I don't really like that guy. Yeah, I haven't heard great things. That's how it can backfire. The bookers one has happened to me so many fucking times. But that's why, you know, if, you, if you're a fan of comedy, be nice to everyone at the comedy club. Just be cool. Just be a cool person in your life, and a lot of things will work out for you. 2003, the assassination of Zoran Didic. September 24th, 2000, Slobodan Milosevic loses a close election despite attempts to attack rival parties. October 5th, 2000, mass protests lead to a refusal of the military to overthrow the election results. Milosevic steps down. January 25th, 2001, Zoran Didic becomes the prime minister. April 2001, about four months Later, Milosevic is arrested for war crimes in Yugoslavia. Late 2000, Didic, 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 I'm not sure on that one, um, announces that 2002 will be a year dedicated to the eradication of organized crime. Now you can see why uh, the old uh, the old boys of the Zuman clan are feeling a little hot, right? If the president just said that all he's going to take a huge stance of against all dudes named Steve, I would be like, uh... Excuse me, I'm a Steve. Please don't come after me. December 2002, a law is passed allowing cooperating witnesses and enhances witness protection. January 2003, with the new law to go into effect, 
in 2003 expect to be more extraditions for war crimes, the Zuman clan and the Special Operations Unit decide to assassinate the Prime Minister. February 21st, 2003, an attempted assassination takes place on a highway in Belgrade. It fails. Less than a month later, pretty much two weeks, March 10, 2003, snipers are placed across from the government buildings in Belgrade. Two days later, these guys were napping up there, chilling. March 12, 2003, Didich is shot while meeting with the Swedish Foreign Secretary in Belgrade. Wow. So let's go in a little bit deeper of what the fuck just happened. The revolution against Slobodan Milosevic brought significantly more scrutiny on the special forces and their relationship with organized crime. Though accused of having his own connections with the criminal underworld, Didik pledged to end corruption and the association of Serbian officials with the Serbian mafia. The Zuman clan's former master, Buha Kumet, was seen as critical to exposing the relationship between the security forces, security services, and the Zuman clan, as well as exposing many of the specific crimes and identities of its members. So now you can understand why the Zuman clan guys are wanting to kill their old homie Buha, right? Buha tried to step away, remember? That guy stepped away good. He like said, I'm done, I'm out of here. But the problem is, and why a lot of criminals kill people, you know, when you say you want to quit a gang, when you say you want to quit a something, they kill you because you got some secrets. You got secrets that can take them down. And with the new rules coming into place, especially in 2003, where they can now be extradited and witness protection, these Zooming clans know we got to fucking kill this guy. Throughout 2002, with investigations looming, Buha was targeted by the Zuman clan, who attacked his construction offices in bombing attacks and attempted to assassinate him while on vacation in Turkey. The second attack was enough to convince Buha that he needs to cooperate, relocating to the Serbian embassy in Ankara, Turkey, and offered his assistance. My man didn't even make it out of fucking Turkey. So, let's talk to me myself, the question I was going to ask. If you were going into witness protection to start your life over, where would you go? Where would you bring your family? And what would you do? If you don't know what witness protection is, so a lot of times for people to flip and for people to get large drug organizations or evil people in trouble, you need witnesses. Okay? And when a witness starts witnessing or going on stand saying he's going to talk against someone, these truly evil organizations and people in their mind go, because a lot of crimes, man, you, if, you, if you don't have a witness, you don't have anyone recording you and you don't have any proof you did it, you're going to get off. So a lot of these high-end criminals, as we've heard, um, I think the Chester Wheeler Campbell, I think, murdered a couple witnesses that were working against him. So a lot of crime people go, okay, the reason you don't want to be a witness is because you think someone might kill you. So what the government does, they go, okay, we'll put you into witness protection. So you're right now, during the during the um, trial, you're under our protection. We're going to make sure nothing happens. You help us get this guy in trouble. You don't get in trouble. You get to move on with your life. But with a lot of these guys, when it's going to be like the Zuman clan where they got a lot of members, just because you put this one guy out, when this witness goes out on his own after this, you know, they could go and kill him anyway. So what happens is when you go into witness protection, you are giving a new life, a new name, a new job in a new place. You know, I'm talking you get sent to Utah, you got a two bedroom house and now you're an accountant. So if I were to flip on big comedy and I was scared that uh, Chris Leo was going to come and kill me, I would start if I could. You, a lot of times you don't get to choose. But I would probably go to Montana. Uh, my job would hopefully be something on the internet. Like, um, I don't know, man. I'm not good at anything. I can't do manual labor. My knee's destroyed. As I've said before in the beginning of this podcast, I was so bad at school that when I cheated, I still only got a 2.8. Um, I would hope to do maybe, honestly, I'd probably get into even more into crypto than I already am. Start tra trading on that a little bit more, just focusing on that. Who would I bring my family? Would I bring my girlfriend? For sure. Uh, you can't bring your family, though. You can't bring your parents. So a lot of times when you go into witness protection, um, you're never allowed to talk to any of your friends or family again. Also, you don't want to because if you're in witness protection, that means the guy the government's protecting you from, you think is so fucking gnarly that he's probably waiting out on your family, especially your mother, to see if you contact them. 
So if it happened, I would go to Montana, hopefully just do some crypto stuff, see if I could get the government to give me maybe like 100, 200K and just kind of work with that. Bring my girl, start a new family. What kind of name? What kind of name would I want? I think I'd go with a weird, you know, I'm in Montana, probably some real normal like Smith. I would go last name Smith, first name Sean, Sean Smith. I could probably pass as a Sean Smith. So that's it. Sean Smith got a girlfriend. I'm working in crypto. The purging of criminals from powerful positions continued with the special operation units rival the special police unit being disbanded and replaced by a newly organized police force modeled after the police units in the West rather than being modeled after the secret police of the Soviet Union. Um, you know, those guys kind of piece of shit. A lot of them came to go work for the Zuman clan. Additionally, waves of indictments came and a new program for witness protection in order to stave off the murder of witnesses testifying against the crime clans. Doi, just told you that. Dindich, Dindik, had been uh, instrumental in supporting reform and aligning Serbia with the West. Whoop, whoop. The extradition of Slobodan Milosevic in 2001 and the indictment of other war criminals, including Ulamek, continue to drive the security services and criminal underworld, particularly the Zuman clan, closer together. The world's going against you and your friends. They're hating on you, just like in sports, you know, when everyone's doubting you, you guys band together and you become better. Or not better, but you become more of a unit. The combined threats to Zuman and Ulamek that were... That would be continued pressure put on organized crime and that war criminals from the special operations unit might be extradited. So extradited, if you don't know, is, uh, you know, if you go into prison in like Serbia, Yugoslavia or South American country, you could have so much power in that country that, you know, you could get out, you could free yourself, you do that kind of stuff. But if you're extradited, that means you're brought to most likely United States and we're not fucking around with criminals here. That they might be extradited propelled them into action with them deciding that they should kill the prime minister with the goal of either supplanting them with a Serbian nationalist in a coup or at the very least easing the pressure on the Zuma can in special operations unit. Imagine that. How many other plans got to fall through before you're like, let's kill the president? I mean, how many, dog? Jesus. The first attempt was made on February 1st, 2003, when Zuman clan members pursued the prime minister's motorcade with the intent of either driving him off the road or blocking his path and shooting him. When the motorcade evaded their vehicles, the plan failed. I mean, in my opinion, if you're going to, you know, what did uh, Omar always say from The Wire? If you're going against at the king, you best not miss. Um, this seemed like a big old miss. So here's a question I was going to ask old Davy boy. What's a time you've tried your hardest and still failed? Um, I would say if you've been listening to this podcast, the last JFL audition I did hurt pretty bad. I'm not sure when that is. If you want to go back, listen to that. But I tried very hard for that for three years, and the guy told me I was a superstar, and then he got fired for saying the N-word, and then I did not get it. That hurt pretty bad. Ulamik then took matters into his own hands and ordered members of the Special Operations Unit to assassinate the Prime Minister. Lieutenant Colonel Zvidin Johanovich, nicknamed Snake, a veteran of both the Special Operations Unit and former Serbian militiaman, armed himself with a German G3 semi-automatic sniper rifle and moved to a position in central Belgrade on the 12th of March in 2003. Taking a shooting position in the Government Imagery Analysis Office, he overlooked the entrance to the main office building of the Serbian government from only about, about 180 meters away. Around the corner, Stretko Kalinic, a.k.a. The Beast, was waiting in a getaway car. At 12.25, two shots rang out. One hit the prime minister's bodyguard. The other hit Dindic directly in the heart. He had been entering the building to meet with Swedish foreign prime minister Anna Linde, who was overseeing European Union efforts to reduce ethnic violence in the region. Dindik was moved by ambulance but was pronounced dead shortly after, the bullet having killed him instantly. Quickly, the police isolate the area and Jovanovic was apprehended, though Kilinic escaped fleeing to Croatia. I mean, I don't know. We've done a few cartels. We've done a lot of these guys. I don't know. I don't know 
if I've ever seen someone attack their prime minister. These guys killed the president. I mean, I guess if you think the the mafia killed our president, which is probably leaning towards that the longer we, we move away, we're probably going to learn that. But golly, these guys did it. All right, 2003 to 2004, a year, a.k.a. the downfall of the Zuman clan slash Operation Saber. 1.30 p.m., 12th of March, 2003. Dindik is declared dead. Didich. All traffic out of Belgrade is ordered to be stopped. Afternoon, a little bit later than that, same day, a state of emergency is declared. Operation Saber is ordered to pursue both the Special Operations Unit and the Zuman clan. 200 people are charged by nightfall. Boy, you best not go against a fucking president. March 13, 2003, 56 suspects are arrested. Eight asked for cooperating witness status. One day later, on the 14th, Bosnian authorities participate in the manhunt. Charges are extended to include a range of activities dating to the Milosevic era. A further 200 people are arrested. This right now is almost up to 300 people. Day later, on the 15th, key leaders of the Zuman clan are arrested. They verify that Spasohevich and Lukovic have retreated into the countryside. March 25, 2003, the rifle used in the assassination is found and linked to the Special Operations Unit. The Special Operations Unit is disbanded. You think? March 27, 2003, Lukovic and Spasodhivic are shot by police. April 2003, Operation Saber ends. More than 10,000 arrests are made. Boy, you best not come at the fucking king. And if you do, you best not miss. And then if you do kill him, you better fucking run. And not to the countryside. So this was a question I asked, I was going to ask Davey Dubs, what's one of the scariest moments of your life where you didn't know what else to do? Um, one of them, I, I mean, if you've listened to this podcast, you kind of listen to all my stories, but it was definitely the one where I uh, had a couple pounds of weed, went to Stockton to go sell them to a guy. My buddy set it up. The guy's calling us each time, and he's being pretty cool. He's, he's, I mean, he's a great actor. Um, and then he, uh, he goes, yeah, meet, meet me here. I'm going to run out and babysitting the kids. Meet me on this little, it's, it's like a little bridge. So in California and a lot of places when they make these newer, uh, you know, McMansion kind of, uh, newer neighborhoods for people to live where all the houses look the same. There's a lot, a lot of times an aqueduct going through it. Okay. Like a small river. And there's sometimes a little bridge that goes over, you know, it's fenced in, not super nice, but whatever he goes, I'll meet you on the bridge. Little hill, you'll see him at the top. Now we pull into the street and we pull in to a parking spot, and it kind of looks like on each end of this little bridge, there's two little parks, you know, right in front of small parks, maybe like an acre. Um, and there's two places to park, okay? So we park in this area, and on each side are two large bushes, kind of like the bushes that you have in someone's front yard where you can keep them all square, right? So we pull in, unlock our doors, right when we get out, two guys put pistols on the side of our heads. And they go, you know what time it is. And uh, I knew exactly what time it was. It was time to give up this marijuana. So at the, in that moment, you're thinking, what's the scariest in your life where you didn't know what else to do? Um, is that the scariest in my life? No, for some reason, no. And I knew exactly what to do. What was the scariest in my life was having to call uh, the guy that fronted me the marijuana. Fronting is when you give it to someone for free and they pay it back to you. A lot of times when you're dealing in large amounts of drugs, the person doesn't have a lot to get it all at once, but they're going to go sell it and they'll give it back to you. And a lot of times you can sell it to them at a higher price since you're fronting it to them and then you may end up making more. And then also when they owe you money and it's like kind of like a business relationship, it's just kind of a better way to run a business because now they're kind of uh, attached to you. You know, they can't shop around and go find the best deals. All they can do is go to you because you're the guy who's controlling all the weed and the money. So I had to call the guy and tell him that I just lost multiple pounds of weed that he fronted me. And he did not believe me. He thought I was trying to screw him over. And, uh, yeah, that was the moment of my life where I was the most scared because I had no idea what I was going to do next. How I was going to get up all these thousands of dollars? How was I going to give it to him? Is he going to believe me? Is he you know, going to do something a lot worse than that. And really, at the only way at that time I could have got it would be for have him give me more weed. He don't want to do that. I don't know what I'm going to do. People are hitting me up already. So, uh, well, I got out of it, as you can see. It was a long time ago. But that drive home 
It was about 45 minutes. was definitely one of the scariest I've ever had in my life. The government, thrown into chaos by the assassination and, the f- and fearing a coup, moved quickly to apprehend the people responsible. On March 13th, a blanket warrant was issued to all members of the Zuman clan with additional warrants for members of the special operations units and their affiliates. Everybody's getting taken. Codenamed Operation Saber, a nationwide manhunt and crackdown began. By the end of the day, on the 13th, more than 40 people had been arrested. On March 18th, Zoran Zivikovic, Z-I-V-K-O-V-I-C, another reformist, was elected the next prime minister. He declared a state of emergency and ordered the government to relentlessly pursue the Zuman clan. You got to, bro. By this time, the ties between the security service and organized crime were laid bare as were the shared goals of reestablishing a nationalist pro-Milosevic government. Ain't happening, fellas. Jovanovic, at first silent, admitted to the killing, saying Dinich was only the first of many and that the special operation unit in the Zumankan were attempting to orchestrate a coup. On March 28th, the special operations unit was disbanded and a warrant was issued for the rest of Ulamik. Schiller, Spasovich, and Lukovic's central Belgrade hideout was raided and destroyed, but the pair had fled into the countryside. While others, like Ulamek, also went into hiding, many more were arrested and gradually they came to cooperate with the police. By March 27th, the location of Spasovich and Lukovic had been found. Cornered in a remote farmhouse, the police officially reported that a gun battle broke out and they began firing at the police. In the ensued gunfight, the pair were shot. While this official report was accepted and effectively cut off the head of the Zuman clan, police officers involved later reported that two were captured alive and then tortured before being executed. By the end of 2003, more than 10,000 people had been arrested due to their associations with the Zuman clan and the assassination of the prime minister. Yeah, so if anyone texts you, hey, should we kill the president, make sure you reply, who is this? I got a new number and definitely no. Because if that shit comes down, uh, a hammer will fall on your fucking head that you have no idea about. 2004 to 2010, the aftermath. March 15, 2003, Didich is buried. Half a million people attend his funeral. September 11, 2003, well, that's a little close. Anna Lint, Swedish foreign minister, is knifed to death by a Serbian expatriate. I mean, did she really have to be killed? She wasn't even, she was just there. That's... I mean, you know, there's a bunch of war criminals and psychos. May 2004, Ulamek turns himself in after 14 months of hiding. May 23, 2007, Yugoslavian Special Court indicts 12 men for the assassination of Didich. January 18, 2008, Kalinic is tried in absentia. He is hiding in Croatia. So that means he was uh, tried with him not being in there. So whenever they do find him, whatever happens, they decide then. He's going to get June 2010. Kalinich is found shot by Zuman clan members. He is alive and has killed one of his would-be assassins. He is arrested at the hospital and extradited to Yugoslavia. I mean, you know why they're doing this. Zuman clan's trying to clean up any tight end, loose ends. And uh, Kalinich is a bad motherfucker, man. With the deaths of Spasovic and Lukovic, the organization unravels. Besides being pursued by the police, the criminals and conspirators turned against each other over the next few years. Kalinic, hiding out in Croatia, killed two senior Zuman clan members with knowledge of the prime minister's assassination. Oh, he's trying to cover up for himself. Listen, folks, I wrote this like six months ago, so I forgot. After it became known that he was willing to cooperate with the police, a Zuman assassin shot him. Kalinic survived, killed the assassin, but during treatment was apprehended by Croatian authorities and extradited. Though Operation Sabre ended in 2003, arrests continue into 2004. The extent of the arrests radically changed the Serbian government as many government officials were removed from the office due to their ties to organized crime. On the other side, Zoran Zekotovic, due to the controversial nature of the mass arrests, was forced to step down as prime minister. Anna Lint, the Swedish foreign minister, was herself assassinated, stabbed by a mentally unstable Swedish man who was the child of Serbian refugees. God, this fucking world is terrible, isn't it? Ulamek was found in his house hiding in 2004 after about being 14 months on the run. Charged with the killing of the prime minister, he was also charged with murder for crimes he was committed while working for Sloban Milosevic. 
He is currently serving a 120-year prison sentence. The man is still alive. The Zuman clan, recognizably in only name, still exists involving in the smuggling of cocaine in the country. In 2010, a major operation called Operation Balkan Warrior targeted the remnants of the Zuman clan, which had turned almost entirely into a cocaine smuggling operation. Spasodhivich was survived by his wife and daughter and an unknown number of children fathered to mistresses during the height of his power. That's the episode. Pretty fucking good, I would say. I mean, these guys, a mafia that ended up killing their president. A lot of people turning on their backs on each other. A lot of people stabbing them in the back when they do that. Thank you guys for checking out the podcast. The next one is going to be the Hawaiian Gardens episode with a real deal police officer. He was also in the... uh, L.A. County Sheriff's Department. So he's got a lot of uh, views. It's going to be a great one. See you guys next time. It's going to be a whole new look. Love you. Bye.